Chapter Seven of Recollections of Imperial Russia. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Paul, close to Tsarsko lies the park of Pavlovsk, with its green slopes, its temples and pavilions, its tiny meandering river, its big yellow palace, the model dairy farm, the pine woods with their sandy tracks, the meadows where wild flowers scent the air and bees hum lazily in the heat of the summer afternoons in those old days the park of pavlovsk was always full the grand duke constantine and his family lived in the palace but the rest of the grounds were open to the public carriages came and went on the wide gravel roads nurses with bright-coloured ribbon streamers pushed perambulators in the shadow of the great trees young girls with gaudy silk handkerchiefs tied loosely round their hair walked arm in arm on the grass boys on bicycles whizzed at breakneck pace down the hills old ladies sat and gossiped over their sewing on the benches old gentlemen dozed or read the newspapers children played with their boats on the miniature lake here and there a guardian of the park kept a watchful eye on the shifting crowd memories of happy days seemed to linger regretfully at pavlovsk crowding together in the family grove where every tree commemorates the birth of a child whispering and laughing in the temple of friendship in the small garden-house with painted walls which marie fyodorovna decorated with her own hands and finger on lip pause in the pavilion des roses where in the big dancing-room with its parquet floors garlands of imitation roses hang from the chandeliers drooping a little wearily as if they found the hours of waiting over long roses there are everywhere painted on the walls embroidered on the tapestried chairs carved in stucco over the doors looking in at the windows growing in wild confusion in the little garden covering the paths with the fading sweetness of their wind-blown petals the scent of living roses steals in through the open windows and mingles with the scent of those who have long been dead in the silent rooms dead roses and dead laughter the ghost-like echo of a far-away violin the whisper of satin skirts the tapping of little high-heeled shoes ghost-like reflections that seem to pass in the mirrored reflection of the polished floor paul with his sombre sullen face the eyes beautiful in themselves but watchful always in an evil suspicion the grand duchess marie fyodorovna glowing with radiant youth and health happy still in her love for her husband and her children young count panin whose name one day was to figure on the list of those who plotted against paul mademoiselle neledov small and frail fanatical almost in her romantic spiritual ardour the shadows shift and waver the petals of dead roses fall with a little sigh by many historians paul has been described as the most unhappy of all russians and some have accused him of having no single redeeming feature to give one even the faintest sympathy with him in his misery while others have made him out misunderstood and totally misjudged perhaps that september day when his wondering eyes first saw the light was grey and dull as september days can be in northern russia outside in the summer gardens the yellow leaves were falling from the shivering trees and the water in the Funtenkwa canal was the colour of mud beneath the leaden sky and the room where he was born was one of the dreariest and most cheerless in the summer palace furnished poorly with doors and windows that rattled in the wind with walls stained by the damp and brocaded hangings that were torn and dingy 
directly after his birth the empress elizabeth took him away from his mother into her own apartments and there he was wrapped in yards of flannel and put in a wonderful cradle draped in the skins of black fox and he was covered first with a satin eiderdown lined with cotton wool and over that with a rose velvet coverlet lined again with black fox furs poor little royal baby later to be one of the most tragic figures in his tragic country lying there half suffocated by heat surrounded by a lot of old women who overwhelmed him with useless and foolish attentions the grey dismal days of the autumn passed and only once during the next six months was catherine allowed to see her son i found him very beautiful she says with a certain pathetic wistfulness and then gradually she seems to have lost all interest in him taken from her so soon it must have seemed to her that he hardly belonged to her she had of his birth only the memory of her anguish and of the neglect that followed it when she was left for three hours while the nurse accompanied the empress with the baby and mademoiselle vladislava left alone with catherine dared not arrange her pillow or give her a drink of water without permission during the next summer too poniatowski came to russia and in the first golden glamour of that romance the secret meetings the danger of discovery the constant intrigues catherine almost forgot the baby son growing up in that court with its strange mixture of refinement and coarseness of dazzling luxury and hopeless sordidness the empress herself who at first had half suffocated the child with her caresses soon began to tire of the drag on her time and left him to the care of others who instilled into his mind a terror of her that caused him to shrink away whenever she approached him fear hatred jealousy suspicion on these was the future emperor brought up now nearly smothered with attentions and affection now scolded tired of pushed roughly away at one moment held up by the empress as a threat against her nephew and his wife that passing over them she would make the baby her direct heir at another neglected and abandoned while elizabeth brooded over the thought of releasing ivan the unhappy son of anna leopoldovna from his prison and restoring to him the crown of which she had robbed him kept in the inner apartments of the palace the little prince was hardly ever allowed to go out never had any regular hours of meals was surrounded by a crowd of nurses maids and children who all fought and quarrelled was neglected very often hungry tired shivering with cold or suffocated with heat and delicate the child always was sensitive with a difficult humour nerves that betrayed him at every moment an imagination that was from the first uncontrolled and unbalanced on the death of elizabeth the atmosphere at court became even more disturbed and convulsed it was well known that peter wished to divorce his wife and disinherit his son it was whispered that in an interview with sergey soltikov he had tried to induce the latter to acknowledge the child's illegitimacy and soltikov having refused to give him any satisfaction had exiled him to his estates in the country it was even rumoured that the emperor had been to see the imprisoned ivan at schlusselburg with the intention of putting him in the place of his son the intrigues the conspiracies the rumours all reached their head at last in the coup d'etat of the twenty eighth june seventeen sixty two which deprived peter of the throne and made catherine sole ruler of russia paul was eight years old at the time 
but the report that peter's death at urupsha was not due to natural causes reached his ears all too soon producing its inevitable impression on his imaginative mind while the fatal suspicion that his mother had been the cause of that death began to grow contaminating his nature like a poisonous germ of evil that beautiful arrogant vivacious mother with her quick humour her dominating personality the delicate sensitive child shrank away from her falling ever deeper into the silent brooding that was to lead his mind to such a sombre sinister trend and for catherine the child was always in a way an adversary to be feared she had by sheer courage and resolution wrested to herself the crown but among the voices that acclaimed her there were many that still called for paul considering him the rightful heir to the throne as he was she dared not leave him behind when she went to moscow for her coronation feverish and ailing he had to go with her on that long journey across the plains though confined to his bed and unable to take part in any of the ceremonies he must in his room in the kremlin have heard the bells of moscow ringing out their chime of welcome to the new empress the shouts of the people who cheered her and perhaps too the voices that called insistently on his name the years dragged slowly on the little grotesque figure with the small frail face the stub nose the wide mouth grew into manhood watched all the time suspiciously held almost a prisoner surrounded by endless intrigues treated by his mother with indifference and harshness with now and then when she wished to impress somebody bursts of passionate tenderness with a hidden longing for love and sympathy alternating between outbursts of hysterical rage and long fits of brooding and sulky resentment he came at last to the age when it was necessary that a bride should be sought for him and the lend griffino of hesse with her three daughters was accordingly invited to russia it was summer when she arrived and paul having chosen wilhelmina as his bride the court adjourned to petrohof where during the warm months of sunshine the young german princess struggled with the difficulties of the russian language and was instructed in the teachings of the orthodox faith by platon archbishop of fer though she had no pretension to good looks she had the charm of youth a joyousness that took pleasure in everything a passionate desire for perpetual movement and amusement to paul she was almost a revelation that secret craving of his made him stretch out his hands to her in a mute imperfect appeal for as an ardent and passionate lover he was perhaps hardly a success at last in september wilhelmina having been accepted into the orthodox church and baptized under the name of natalie alexievna the marriage was celebrated in the kazan cathedral in petersburg and was followed by an enormous banquet and ball at the winter palace the Mork Grefino of Hesse gives the picture of the magnificent splendor of the ceremonies, of the gorgeous costumes and uniforms, the blaze of priceless jewels, and she describes in the middle of this the small, insignificant figure of the bridegroom, opening the ball with his bride in her dress of silver brocade, so weighted down with diamonds and precious stones that she could hardly move she tells us too how the future emperor and tyrant wrapped in a gorgeous silver dressing-gown had supper with her while catherine led natalie to her apartments and she adds somewhat naively it was not so ridiculous as you might suppose the incessant chatter and laughter of his young wife her constant gaiety the bustle of her charades her dancing and her insatiate need of amusement must have allowed paul little time for his sullen brooding must have lightened a little the darkness of his surroundings 
all too soon however the shadows gathered round his path panin who was the one person he loved was removed from his service by catherine and replaced by michael soltikoff an act which caused a violent quarrel between her and her son paul having however to bow to her superior power but storing up in his mind a vindictive rage at the humiliation of his forced surrender his married happiness too was marred by the suspicion cast on it by his mother that his friend andrei razumovsky was his wife's lover and finally it was wrecked in utter tragedy when in april seventeen seventy three the grand duchess natalie died in childbirth overwhelmed by grief paul came near to losing his reason while the court whispered and tittered and every kind of rumour was circulated quite confidently it was affirmed that when the child was born dead and the doctors gave their opinion that there was no possible chance of the grand duchess ever having another the empress decided that she should quietly and painlessly be allowed to die it was declared that there had been gross and culpable negligence in the way she had been treated while the most popular belief was that the grand duchess had been born with a malformation and that her mother was entirely to blame for never having divulged the truth so the unfortunate girl was laid to rest in st alexander nevskia and she who had loved life and movement was quiet at last and soon forgotten by all save her husband and perhaps andrei razumovsky in his memoirs count fyodor Jolovkinow asserts that after natalie's death in order to cure paul of his grief he was informed of the true state of things that though before he had always refused to believe his wife unfaithful he was now allowed no room for doubt and consequently refused to see or speak to his friend again whether this is true or not it is certain that he was not allowed much time for mourning for only two months later he was sent to the court of frederick ii at berlin to meet the princess sophie dorothy of wurttemberg montbelliard she was engaged at the time to prince louis of darmstadt natalie's brother but the scheming brains of catherine frederick ii and prince henry of prussia broke off the projected marriage with callous indifference what did human hearts matter or young affections when it was a question of politics very quickly the matter was settled in september already sophie dorothy had abjured protestantism had received the name of marie fyodorovna and was married to paul tall stately glowing with youth and health according to catherine's words she had none of the unfortunate natalie's restless craving for perpetual amusement gentle and submissive she was yet gay and sunny-tempered loved country life and simple occupations and had been blessed too with a great gift for painting and embroidery in seventeen seventy seven catherine gave paul the estate of pavlovsk near tsarsko and tearing her husband from his sombre reflections the young grand duchess made him take an interest in the plans for the palace the laying out of the extensive grounds the building of little temples it was here that they formed their circle a small and intimate court of their own and paul could throw off the burden of his thoughts forget the constant pinpricks which wounded and offended his pride the neglect and indifference with which he was treated in december seventeen seventy seven their first child alexander was born and delighted with her grandchild catherine kept him in her own apartments lavishing on him all the love she had never given her own children she was scarcely less delighted when the second little boy constantine was born in seventeen seventy nine and when in seventeen eighty one 
paul and marie fyodorovna started on their european tour the empress kept the two children with her regardless of their mother's grief at having to leave them as comte and comtesse de nord paul and his wife passed through poland and vienna where they were received with great honour and many festivities by joseph too then going on to italy they stayed at venice rome and naples returning by florence and milan till finally they came to france to paris and the court of versailles then already tottering on the brink of revolution but in those brilliant may days banquets concerts balls and excursions following each other in endless succession there seemed no premonition of coming disaster and paul and his wife remained a month finally and regretfully continuing their journey to belgium and holland then to montpellier marie fyodorovna's home and so on to vienna and back to petersburg in november the grey hopeless november of russia the displeasure of catherine her stern reprimands to her son for not having been conciliatory enough in his attitude at vienna and paris her scandalized disapproval of her daughter-in-law's extravagance her insistence on the boxes of french clothes and head-dresses being sent back unopened retiring to Bavlosk, where the big palace was almost completed the young couple set to work to beautify their domain with the treasures they had brought back from italy and france priceless furniture pictures sculptures sevres china tapestry and costly books marie fyodorovna embroidered painted collected dried flowers started her model dairy tried to amuse and distract her husband while with passing time one little girl after another was added to the increasing family alexandra helen marie catherine olga anna and yet one more son nicholas the palace at gochina had now also been given to paul and he began to spend most of his time there further away from his mother's watchful eye drilling his soldiers fostering the autocratic pride that was so fatally to turn him into a tyrant swiftly with all their various incidents the years passed by there were the constant attacks of sweden on russia there were the wars with the turks the annexation of the crimea catherine's triumphal journey and all the time paul treated with contemptuous indifference in spite of his entreaties allowed only once to go to the swedish front and there not allowed to take any active part sent back to petersburg almost in disgrace his rancor and resentment piling itself up embittering his already sullen morose nature he allowed himself too to be swept away by the new taste for mysticism that had crept across europe to russia and persuaded himself that his passion for catherine neledoff was purely spiritual that it was her soul her mind her artistic temperament that inspired him the court could see in their intimacy nothing but the obvious intrigue that was only to be expected from a son of catherine marie fyodorovna virtuous to a point of austerity wounded to the quick in her pride of wife and mother withdrew into herself and the charm of affectionate intimacy that had been a characteristic of the court of pavlosk was broken it was from this time that paul seemed to model himself more and more on peter the third was he perhaps after all the son of the unhappy monarch murdered at horopsha or did he merely seek to intensify some of his peculiarities he fostered the same exaggerated admiration of frederick ii of prussia he grew obsessed with the same pro-german ideas the same passion for drills and parades organizing all his surroundings with military precision his abnormal religious and mystical fanaticism increased his treatment of his wife and children became daily more tyrannical his moods were more sombre his brooding thoughts ever more sinister 
in seventeen ninety three alexander his eldest son married the princess elizabeth of baden a girl of fifteen who with all her beauty was doomed to a life of misunderstood unhappiness and solitude while the bride of the grand duke constantine julia of saxe coburg was still more miserable with her violent intractable husband the marriage finally being annulled in eighteen twenty and yet the love story of alexandra paul's eldest daughter was perhaps the most tragic of all it was in august seventeen ninety six that gustav four the handsome grave young king of sweden arrived in petersburg and almost at once it seemed that alexandra gave him the ardour and romantic worship of her girl's heart so long had she been brought up on his name and on the idea that he was one day to be her husband that she was all too ready to see in him the realization of her dreams it seemed too as if the young king responded to her love he had asked her hand in marriage everything was going smoothly and september second was chosen as the day of the public betrothal at the appointed hour the court assembled in the throne-room of the winter palace and waited for the arrival of the king but the minutes passed by and added themselves to hours the bride in her splendid dress flushed and paled alternately the priests who were to bless the couple looked grave the courtiers whispered and shrugged their shoulders the old empress was getting visibly nervous zuboff and markov came and went looking ever more perturbed and still there was no sign of the king had there been an accident was there some hitch people gazed curiously at the poor little bride standing there in her finery striving in vain to keep up a dignified composure the tears brimming in her eyes but still not allowed to fall at last after waiting from six in the evening till ten markov came back once more and with obvious consternation whispered something in the empress's ear whereupon she rose abruptly and left the room without uttering a word the courtiers were all summarily dismissed and white as a ghost alexandra retired to take off the dress she had put on with such a beating heart only later was the curiosity of the court satisfied and the true state of things published at the last moment the king of sweden had categorically refused to sign a document giving alexandra the right to have her private chapel and an orthodox priest to attend her he had promised not to interfere with his wife's religion but he could not and would not publicly support her in this way not an inch would he budge from this decision neither threats nor persuasions could move him and finally the engagement was definitely broken off gustav travelled back to sweden the young girl gazed sadly at the fragments of a rainbow-coloured dream that lay shattered at her feet and with the shadow of an unforgettable sorrow in her lovely eyes tried to take up her life once more only married a little later to the archduke joseph of austria to die at the age of eighteen in giving birth to a child the disgrace of the broken engagement their mutual humiliation and indignation might have brought catherine and her son closer together but paul isolated himself ever more completely at gochina fostering that tyrannical despotic temper of his flying continually into violent rages which he made no effort to control suspecting everybody even his wife whom he hardly let out of his sight forcing her to accompany him in all weathers on his mimic parades and reviews setting spies to watch her threatening her continually that if she fancied herself another catherine she would not find him a second peter of holstein but the day for which he had been waiting the day towards which all his life had seemed to be tending dawned at last for on november fifth 
seventeen ninety six the great catherine was struck down by an apoplectic stroke never recovering her power of speech to utter the sentence paul had dreaded the sentence that would disinherit him and make his son alexander emperor what thoughts must have thrilled his mind during those long hours of waiting in the darkened room listening to his mother's laboured breathing watching her convulsed face while platon zuboff cowered half-dressed in a corner the young grand duchesses sobbed and prayed in an adjoining room and the courtiers crept about on tiptoe and dared not look at him he had never had the love of this woman who now lay in her death agony the man who was said to be his father had been deposed by her probably murdered by her orders she had treated him as a child always allowed him no independence no liberty no freedom and now she was dying his word would be all-powerful he could make men tremble at his frown there was nothing he could not do his commands however impossible must be obeyed the dragging hours went all too slowly for him till the last breath passed the tortured lips of the great empress making him sovereign of russia the regiments hastily called up from gochina were drawn up on the square before the winter palace their strange uniforms drawing the curious gaze of the crowd the courtiers of catherine prostrated themselves before their new master the citizens of petersburg acknowledged him as emperor one of his first acts was to exhume the body of peter the third buried in the cemetery of alexander nevskia have it transported to the winter palace and in a coffin surmounted by an imperial crown placed next to the catapult where catherine had been laid in state loathing each other in life they were buried together and alexis orloff old and feeble but still full of dignity was forced to walk behind the coffin of the emperor whom thirty-four years earlier he was supposed to have murdered and whether it was an act of devotion to the memory of his supposed father or an act of vengeance and hatred to his mother only paul's half-crazy brain could tell filled with soldiers the winter palace now resembled a beleaguered garrison while every morning the emperor drilled his new regiments and prided himself on being out in all weathers without an overcoat not only did he insist on a discipline that was rigorously severe but he changed the old uniforms brought in german ones ordered the soldiers who had always worn their hair cut round their necks in the old russian manner to be powdered and wear the little false pigtail behind and steadily his unpopularity increased in the army and desertion which hitherto had been rare became increasingly frequent every day new orders one more ridiculous than the last were issued paralyzing petersburg and causing consternation through all the country the old barbaric custom forbidden by peter which insisted on those who met the sovereign in the street descending from their carriages and prostrating themselves was brought into force again with the result that the streets of the capital were nearly deserted as nobody wanted to go out and incur this necessity unless they were forced to do so the splendid painted sledges and coaches were all forbidden even the old russian harness had to be changed a british merchant who was unaware of the new order that round hats were not allowed was arrested and beaten by soldiers who tore his hat from his head prince george galitzin was imprisoned on one occasion because when he kissed the emperor's hand he had not had sufficient reverence in his manner a horse that had stumbled was starved to death by the order of the autocrat of russia everywhere in every class and every grade his tyranny made itself felt 
and one wonders whether it was just sheer love of power or whether he tried to heap on himself the splendour and dignities of a potentate in order to make people forget his insignificant height his snub nose his high cheekbones and bald head that he was aware of his own ugliness is shown by the fact that he refused to have his head engraved on the coins of his realm and insisted on having the cipher instead while no man could join the new pavlovsky guard regiment unless he had a snub nose a rule that was carried out up till the revolution for his coronation at moscow in seventeen ninety seven paul's almost childish love of ceremonies and functions was allowed full scope and he could be the centre figure of all the magnificent pageantry the festivities lasted over a week the emperor seeming never to tire of them while the exhausted courtiers nearly succumbed to fatigue very often having no time to return to their houses between the various entertainments and having to dress as best they could in passages or anterooms so in the magnificent uspensky cathedral which had seen the coronation of the first tsar the holy crown of russia was placed on the forehead of the man who had he not surrounded himself with a shadow of terror would have perhaps been only supremely ridiculous and the old walls of the kremlin watched him strut in pompous dignity beneath their shadow and pass on to meet his tragic inevitable destiny in petersburg meanwhile the new st michael's palace was being built with vast expense and haste on the site of the old summer palace some said that paul's hatred for his mother was so intense that he would not live in rooms which held her memory others whispered that his dread of assassination was so great that he must have a palace as impregnable as a fortress surrounded by a moat approached only by a drawbridge while at the same time a story was circulated that one of the guards of the summer gardens had insisted on being admitted to the emperor and related how st michael had appeared to him three times during the night and had ordered him to tell the emperor that he was soon to have another son that he was to christen him michael and was to build a church and a palace and call them by the same name in january seventeen ninety eight marie fyodorovna effectively gave birth to a son who was in due course christened michael and the pink walls of the great palace rose at the end of the summer gardens and the champ de mars the little grand duke came into the world at midnight but by order of the emperor his birth had to be immediately announced to all the heads of diplomatic missions in petersburg count feodor Golovkino, accordingly was forced to drive round the town in a state glass coach and insist on being admitted to every embassy and legation sleepy porters knocked up thus in the middle of the night refused to open the big doors half-dressed servants had to be sent for messages were brought that their excellencies were asleep and that it was impossible to wake them but jolovkin under the orders of the tyrant had to go against all common sense and peevish ambassadors had to be torn out of warm beds and wrapped in gorgeous dressing-gowns had to listen to the formal announcement of the birth of another son to the empress of russia it was a rule of terror a fever of tyranny which made paul hated and detested by all his people even his wife had several times been placed under arrest his children trembled before him his ministers plotted against him his courtiers prostrating themselves before him cursed him in their hearts the beautiful arrogant madame laufoukine had taken the place of mademoiselle nelirov who had retired to the smolny institute the empress herself going often to see her old-time rival weeping with her over the growing madness of the man they both loved in spite of all his faults and meanwhile the plot against him grew into being supporters coming from all sides to work for his downfall 
count palin governor-general of petersburg and paul's most trusted friend was the head of the conspiracy and the names of platon zuboff and nikita petrovitch pino were also on the list the latter was the nephew of paul's former governor and sharing his education had been his friend and later as vice-chancellor until in one of his sudden fits of fury paul exiled him to his estates alexander paul's eldest son had also been approached but had refused categorically to have anything to do with the conspiracy it was explained to him that no harm would come to the emperor and that he would only be made regent in his name it was put before him that by this act alone could russia be saved from the power of a madman that paul's increasing despotism his crazy outbursts of anger would in time ruin the country that the lives of his mother himself his brothers and sisters were not safe for a moment at last reluctantly alexander gave his name but undecided and nervous he kept on hesitating and putting off the final decision till at last pino insisted that the thing must be done without any further delay as the dreaded eric chief was being recalled from his temporary banishment to siberia and at the same time paul was threatening to make war on some neighbouring states so at last the night of the twenty fourth of march darkened over petersburg and a cold starry sky stretched above the great pink-walled palace whose shadow lay black on the silver whiteness of the snow at eleven the conspirators met together in the house of general telitsin and after drinking to the success of their enterprise set out through the frost-bound silence the loyal Semyonov regiment which had been on guard in the morning had now been replaced by the preobojensky who were in the plot so without any difficulty the drawbridges were let down the great gates were swung silently open the emperor had already retired to bed the whole vast building lay shadowed in sleep only one soldier tried to stop the band of conspirators but was instantly struck down and pushed aside woken up by the commotion of their approach paul started out of bed and looked round desperately for a way of escape but the door that led to his wife's rooms had been barricaded by his special orders urged by his terror of her plotting against him and there was no other way out save by that door before which already the conspirators were standing hiding himself behind a screen the emperor cowered in the shadows listening to the voices of the men who now had forced themselves into his room who thinking he had escaped were cursing each other in their frantic search for him at last by an abrupt movement one of them knocked down the screen and the miserable half-naked figure of the despot and the tyrant who in revenge for his own darkened youth had made his country tremble before him stood before the men who had come to avenge that country's wrongs it is difficult to know exactly what followed as in all the narratives the descriptions differ in some slight degree some say it was benningson who struck the emperor down with a heavy gold snuff-box others declare that when they said to him majesty you are arrested he tried madly to escape that caught back he struggled was knocked down in the general commotion and that either zuboff or scalerate strangled him with a scarf they had perhaps not meant to kill him they were all a little drunk with wine and excitement hardly conscious of what they were doing but when they saw the huddled figure at their feet the livid swollen face a sudden hush fell on them the horror of their accomplished act struck them into silence almost reverently they lifted up the poor beaten body and laid it back on the bed while an officer was dispatched to alexander to tell him what had happened and proclaim him emperor with all the pomp his soul had loved paul after hardly more than four years reign was buried in the cathedral of the fortress 
but his memory was not so easily laid aside and his influence seemed to remain behind like some malevolent spectre of evil the shadow of his father's murder of his own part in the conspiracy haunted and warped the spirit of his son while the terror of his despotic tyranny lived on in his creature erichief who gained complete mastery over alexander and ruled russia with iron unsparing pitilessness nicholas who succeeded his brother was an even greater autocrat the revolt of piestel was suppressed with cruel severity god is too high and the tsar too far the people said wistfully but for the first time in russian history the word nihilist was heard though alexander too freed the serfs and tried to bring in more liberal ideas it was he who fell victim to an assassin's bomb in eighteen eighty one always beneath the surface of laws and civilization the elements of disorder the old eastern spirit seethed and smouldered the heritage of wild half-savage tribes of the steppes the never-forgotten influence of tartar invasions of wars and strife and an oriental fatalism and disregard for life peter the great catherine the great paul those three figures seem to stand out in the history of modern russia the russia not of kiev or of moscow but of petersburg with its western influence its glamour of court and society literature and music and yet they could not either by their greatness or their tyranny give russia a new soul all they could do was to make new laws build their palaces and schools and leave behind them memories that seemed still vividly alive the memories of peter the pink-and-white palace on the gulf of finland the grim brown fortress the little house by the neva built by the tsar's own hands in seventeen o three with its simple rooms its chapel and wonder-working image and not far off the wooden cathedral of the trinity here always the spirit of the great reformer seemed to linger here were the golden icons before which he came to pray and here was the place where the murdered body of alexis was laid and peter looked down at his son with that frozen granite face of his very well i remember my sorrow one summer morning in nineteen thirteen when from the windows of the embassy just across the river i watched the fire that destroyed the cathedral of the trinity with its blue-painted domes its great gilt doors and jewelled images and the memories of catherine the hermitage with its pictures that rivalled all other collections in the world the great rooms with their countless treasures of jade and porphyry and malachite and agate the palace at sarsko the marble palace facing the embassy built originally for grigory orloff and where later stanislav punyatovsky came to die the embassy itself built for the soltikovs the tauride palace of the great potemkin which became the duma the smolny institute which became the soviet and then the memories of paul pavlosk where his happiest days were spent gochina already impregnated with the gloom of his growing fanaticism the michael palace sombre and impressive with its great arch its octagonal court the vastness of its marble staircase in eighteen eighty two it was fitted up as an engineering academy and in november nineteen seventeen when the boys of the cadet school made their vain and desperate effort to oust the bolsheviks some of them entrenched themselves here determined to fight till the last across the champs de mars cannons were trained on the mad emperor's palace but seeing that resistance was hopeless the cadets surrendered and the rose-red walls still stood intact with the golden spire of the palace church flashing in the sunshine the last day i walked in the summer gardens and looked up at the windows where so often i had seemed to see the small ugly face of the man who had tyrannized russia looking out at the new world 
the yellow trams that shriek and scream down the sorvaya the motors that hoot and whistle and jolt across the wooden bridge over the fantinka the troops of laughing children with their nurses in the summer gardens the hunchbacked newspaper seller who sits at the gates long lines of carts with stumbling horses officers in long grey overcoats women in costly furs an old peasant with a shawl over her head the shifting scenes pass swept away by the war and the revolution but again on that last day when i looked up at the empty palace i seemed to see the ghost-like face at the windows and now the busy street was almost deserted there were no motors only an occasional battered tram no officers in grey overcoats no women in enveloping furs no laughing children in the deserted summer gardens where the statues shivered in the frozen silence change evolution unending tragedy the scarlet flag of liberty and communism flying from the fortress where the bodies of dead emperors lie here in the cathedral the marble coffin of paul was always lit up with a halo of golden light from hundreds of flickering candles and i remember being told that if one had a wish one had but to go and pray at the grave of paul to have it fulfilled as he had died an evil death and to give his spirit rest it had been granted this special privilege i think that once for something i thought i wanted very much i also went and put a little flickering yellow candle before that coffin with its golden eagles but my wish was never fulfilled and the silence of the big church with its sleeping emperor seemed to mock me for my credulity small insignificant ugly in no ways great among those other ghosts of dead men and women who wore the crown of russia and each one in his or her way influenced her destiny paul's figure stands out with sinister prominence even as in the shadows of the cathedral his coffin lit up by the flickering candles stood out from the other coffins not for the good he did his country but for the evil and for the grim ghastliness of his ending End of chapter seven